to us this morning from the good news according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the gospel of our Lord. One of the things that my dad loved to do with me when I was a kid and would go visit him is he liked to go on treasure hunts. Uh, mostly this was in North Carolina at the time that I'm thinking of when I was little, and my brother and I would go with my dad, and there's, if you've been to the coast of the Carolinas, it's often, there's a lot of ferns and moss, and it's kind of swampy, and my dad loved it to go on hikes and adventures where we just kind of wander through this uh, forest and looking for treasure, because he knew that the history of all these pirates and other captains uh, had been through there, and looted people and come back and they stored their treasure. So we were certain that there was still treasure and we were always out there looking for treasure hidden anywhere. He'd like, you know, keep up with the pretense. We'd look behind things and look. And uh, that was how he kept us going. Even when, the, even when the trip wasn't going so well, even when the hike or the exploration had gone wrong. I remember one in particular where we got really lost. Uh, it was getting dark. We'd fallen into some mud. So I had mud up to my knees. You know, I'm probably, what, 10, something like that. Uh, and then it's getting dark, so the mosquitoes come out, and I'm miserable. My brother and I are miserable. We're just complaining, and we're complaining, and we're like, how much further, Dad? We can't go anywhere. We're crying. And then the mosquitoes started biting my face, and they're biting so hard. Finally, I just said, Dad, my face is hurting. And he goes, I know. It's hurting me, too. Um, it wasn't the most compassionate thing, but it's okay. Um, my therapist is cheap, so it's fine. Um, treasure hunts with dad. He liked to take what was ordinary, just an ordinary afternoon on a Sunday or whatever, and then suddenly imbue it with meaning and purpose. We weren't just going on a hike through a swamp. We were looking for buried treasure from pirates. And suddenly the afternoon and the walking and even going through the mud and the mosquitoes, yes, and all those things meant that we had a purpose. We were looking for something really important that would change our lives and would shape us and that we could share with other people. And I want to suggest that this sense of purpose and meaning and searching is really what it means to be human and to be alive. As I said last week, to be a seeker and not just a settler. To kind of always have this idea that what you're doing in the ordinary, 
routine, even when things are really hard and you're in the muck and the mud and the mosquitoes, that you know you have a purpose, that you have meaning, that there is some treasure awaiting you as you go about your day and your week, as you hustle for a new job or for deepening your relationships or extending your community or discovering who you are more deeply, that we are actually treasure hunting. In the Gospel of John, which is in our passage this morning, but the first thing that Jesus says to people is, what is it that you are seeking? What are you searching for? That's the first thing he says to people. And we don't often take the time to consider this first question from Jesus. What are you seeking? In all of your workaday life, Monday through Saturday, I mean, Monday through Sunday, all the days, just doing things, sleeping, playing, working, studying, what is it that you are most deeply seeking? What are you searching for? What is the treasure that you hope to find? I think people are treasure hunting still. I think we have this sense, I think it's been given to us by God, that there's something deeper and more special than we can ask or imagine out there, and we would like to know what it is. I mean, people have literally, for millennia, been searching for the Ark of the Covenant. That's what the Indiana Jones show is about. People have been searching for the chalice that was at the Last Supper. People have actually gone on hunts, and you can go and read this, this uh, read a history about it. It's amazing what people have done to try to find these things. Were people just searching for an artifact? Or are they searching, perhaps, for a memory that at some point, in some place, maybe, God himself was with us? See, I think it's true, and I said this again a few weeks ago in our culture, that people more and more say, I am not religious. I don't want to be a part of organized religion, but I am deeply spiritual. I think there is something more. Some of my friends in the surf community, they go out there and they say, yeah, every time I see the ocean, I just, I say a prayer. I just say a prayer of thanks for the water. People are spiritual. They are searching. They want to know what that deeper thing is. There's something in us that wants to reverence something beyond ourselves. And this is, you know, the great, the great trick that has been played by humanity on sort of modernism and materialism is that we like to think that it's this hermetically sealed system, but deep down we know there must be something worth giving my life to. There must be some purpose and meaning to this. So what are you seeking? What are you searching? This is a question that we must start with, and we must answer Jesus. And maybe that's your application here at the front of the sermon this week. Maybe you've not thought how to answer that question in a while. Too busy with all the lists and all the things to do and all the things that we do that are good and right to take care of one another and to live and to provide, to try to stay healthy. But in the midst of all that, to stop and ask, what is it that I most deeply long for? What is my purpose? What is the meaning of this life? And I think life is about finding your purpose if you can observe and see, I'm in midlife, squarely. And I talk to lots of people my age who've built their settlements, as I have. The ones they've always wanted, the ones they've been told they needed. And now the question often is like, what was the point of all of this? I feel like there's something more than just the right job and all this stuff that I'm doing. What is my life about? What is it for? What's the purpose? 
And I want to suggest as we get into it that there's a multi-part answer to this. But this morning, I want you to hear that God tells us one of the chief purposes of our life is to worship him. To worship him and to enjoy him. Now, worship is certainly a religious word. We're going to spend two weeks talking about what we mean by worship. We do actually mean this service, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about worship, which is something we're told in the New Testament you can do with all of your life, literally by sleeping, by eating, by giving thanks, by rejoicing, by serving, by fixing broken sidewalks, by working together in the city, that everything we do can be worship, that we can honor God with all of our lives, and we're going to talk about that next week. But this morning, I want to talk about this service with a sometimes boring preacher and bread and wine, right? My wife is thinking, sometimes? Always, right? Or at least my, my kids would be. Here we are, and we're spending this time together, and why are we here? What is this worship service? What's happening from 1030 to 1145 or so? Why do we invest the time and the energy and the money in this, in the work? Why sacrifice perhaps millions of dollars to purchase and restore this building over the next decade so that it becomes and remains, sorry, remains a church for worship services amongst other things instead of just becoming more condos? Why do this? You may know that in English, the word worship comes from the old English worth ship. You could even call a, uh, an honorary person your worthship. It means something is worthy. The definition actually in the dictionary is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity or honor given to someone in recognition of their merit. You might think if you watched the queen's funeral a couple weeks ago or whatever, that people still do want to reverence something and show its worth and to honor it. That's an example of the word worthship. I think for our purposes, it's even something like understanding that there is something bigger, maybe more ancient, maybe more fresh, but something bigger than just our own finite minds, our own egos, our own relationships, our own work, something bigger and more beautiful, better, more true, more life-giving, than what we can just make on our own. Something that comes to us like a gift and puts us in awe. You ever, you've heard this concept of the flow state I talk about a lot. You're being moved by something, you just get caught up in it. It could be an amazing story, an amazing movie that just moves you. It could be a piece of music. It could be art. It could be a conversation where you find yourself in this state and time just goes by and you're in awe and it feels like you slipped into eternity for a minute. I want to suggest that this is what worship means, not just the old English word to give something honor, but it's wherever we are suddenly finding ourselves lost into purpose, meaning. You're just like, I'm alive. You, you, get, you leave a conversation and you, you can't believe all the things that were happening and how much you were vibing as the kids say and all this stuff, right? Like you're reverencing something. You're giving your all to it. This is what it means to worship. And we are meant to find this experience, this treasure, this gift, not in created things, but in God himself. And this is good news, that our true purpose, 
Our true meaning in life, our true treasure is to be found in relationship with God, in an encounter with him, an experience of him, falling into a flow state, if you will, of being with him in conversation and experience and art and beauty and truth and goodness, all of the things to be there with him. We are meant to find it in him, the one who is our origin and source, the one who right now, the New Testament says, you are living in and you are moving around in and you have your being, your essence, your life in him, every person that we always walk around. Paul says that to people who do not yet believe in Jesus when he's preaching. He says, in him you live and move and have your being. And in fact, you're looking for him everywhere like you're looking for a treasure, but he's not far from you. He is right here. He is very near to you, as near as your breath. This is our destiny, our destination, this one that we are made for, the treasure that we most long for, the treasure that will satisfy us. A worship service is not primarily a place where you are out hunting and searching for God. It's a place where God invites us to come so that he can give us the treasure of himself. That's why we call one another and neighbors and symbolically, even if they can't hear us, the whole world into the worship service at the beginning. We call them in, we invite them because he's invited us. He's invited all people to come to have a date with him. It's like a tryst. They get together. He tells us he loves us. And we're meant to be renewed in love with him. Like a dinner date where you just lose the conversation. The food's amazing. Everything's great. You can't look, the look in her eyes or his eyes and you can't believe it. That is what worship is meant to be. This service, he's invited us to it. He says, when you encounter the kingdom of God, Jesus says, it's going to be like you found a pearl of great price or a field that you know is full of treasure. You're going to go and sell everything. You're going to leave everything to buy it as quick as you can to get this treasure. That sounds like something worth it, doesn't it? He said, then you're going to go and tell everyone to come and be a part of this treasure. This is what you're made. See, never in the history of the world before Jesus had God's presence in an encounter, and an experience with him in love and renewal, been so available to so many people around the world. Hear this again. This letter written to a church. It's in the book called Hebrews. And hear the excitement. It says, therefore, we now have confidence. We don't have to be afraid of God's presence, that he's fire and flame, or he's hiding from us and we can't find him, and we're all alone in this muck with the mosquitoes around, and we're never gonna get home. No, no, no. We don't have to worry about or fear anything, much less God. And so now we have confidence, it says. We have confidence to enter into the holy place, the place where God dwells, his presence, where he is, Okay? And we often think it's like up high in the sky and there's plenty of symbolism in the, in the uh, Bible, Old and New Testament, where people go up and there's this thin place and God comes down. But in fact, it's just a different dimension that overlaps with us invisibly and his kingdom is here. It's nearby and there are thin places where we're invited to come in and have a closer experience with him. And he says, you now get to come into that holy place, that place that makes you whole and right and good. Man, we have confidence to just walk right in at any time, by the blood of Jesus, because he's sacrificed for us. 
because he loves us, we now have this new and alive way, this living way that we get to come in because he opened for us the curtain of his flesh, this thing that was keeping us from God in his death. And so now we enter and we have this great priest over the house of God. Again, this is the Hebrews trying to convince them of Christianity. So it's full of the Old Testament imagery. He says, let us now draw near with a true heart in full assurance that our faith gives us because our hearts are sprinkled clean. This is all Old Testament sacrificial system stuff. Baptized, washed, cleansed, which is why we do the cleanse section. Right after we're called in, we're cleansed, we're washed, we're reminded Relax, it doesn't matter what you did last night, this morning, last week. You are in the holy place and you are loved and you are cleansed by Jesus and you just can walk in anytime. You can walk in again this morning. So don't have a bad conscience. Let your body be washed with pure water and hold fast to this confession that we've already confessed in our word and the creeds and proclaiming the gospel. This confession of our hope because God is faithful. Let us also, as we're here, he says, consider how to stir up one another to love again. Your lover is here. He's invited you in. He's washed you. You're sitting with him. He's confessing his love for you. You're confessing your love back for him. And so let's consider how to stir one another up for more love and for good works, to do beautiful things together in this service and outside of it. And let's don't, therefore, neglect meeting together. The early Christians came on the first day of the week every single morning. They often met much more often than that. But they didn't miss Sunday mornings, the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection. So let's, so let's don't neglect meeting together. Man, this is, this is your purpose. This is your meaning. This is your life. This is your treasure. Why would you walk past it? Walk in. It's open, the door. Some people have the habit, it is true, it says, of neglecting to meet together. But instead, let's encourage one another even more so as you see the day when God will come and fill all things and be in all things. There will be no more need to search for him or to hide from him because he will be everywhere in all things. We will finally see it unveiled. There will be no more sin or curse or sorrow or brokenness or death. And so when you see that day drawing near in time, just keep meeting, keep encouraging each other. This is worship. And if you need just a little bit of convincing I'll remind you that throughout the entire Bible, if you were to go and just kind of skim through it or even read, I don't know if they make like Cliff's Notes versions of it or whatever, but you studied the history of gathered worship where people came together to reverence God, you would see that from the very beginning, it's always about presence and connection and restoration, and God has always been the one seeking those who are lost. Most of you will know the story, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. If you go and read it again, they're with God's presence. They have shalom. They have life. They have everything. Everything's rightly ordered, and it's just lovely and beautiful. God with human beings, human beings with one another, human beings with the creation, with animals, with trees, with water, the earth. Everything is just right. But they leave his presence. They leave his instruction, and then suddenly they're covering themselves with fig leaves. They're hiding in shame and thorn bushes and hiding He has to look for them. He said, where are you? He's seeking. Hey, where are you? He's seeking them. And the whole Old Testament, you can see, is just goes from tent to temple. Time and time after again, it's God coming and saying, here's how you draw near. 
And that's the actual biblical word. Our English word worship just emphasizes the reverence, you know, obeying and bowing down. But the Old Testament word is to draw near, to be brought back into God's presence. In fact, the sacrificial system, the offerings they would bring, many of those words are called near bringings. The whole thing was designed so that people could come back into God's presence. That that fiery sword that blocked them out of God's presence is suddenly now a sword that chops up the animal and a flame that transforms it into barbecue and we turn into smoke in God's presence and we become one with him. That's the Old Testament. That's what worship was. And that's why in the New Testament it applies to a service just like this and ones that are happening all around the world this morning that we move through the drama. We reenact the story of call, of cleanse, of God speaking with us, of God eating with us, of God blessing us and sending us out. It's just the Old Testament system without blood. We are now living sacrifices. We come and bring our whole lives to God. And I want to suggest that this is part of our purpose in life. It is what renews us in our deepest purpose. But you're not meant to be here 24-7, 365, and we'll talk about that next week. But there's this thing I like to observe in nature, and one of the things I've been trying to get more confident in is how much I love nature these days and like to observe and reflect on it. And the, the Bible does that a lot, and so I'm going to do it this morning. I've been noticing, to me, at least one way to look at it, is if you want to see something alive, you need to see movement. Like if you go out to the desert, there's a lot of rock, and it just sits there. And there's not a lot of life. It's even hard to see critters. It's just kind of dead, and nothing is moving. But what moves in the desert sometimes, or in parts of desert, I'm thinking of like places like Utah and Arizona, is water. And the water that moves, over time, it's imperceptible, but over time it is actually stronger and more powerful and more alive than that which doesn't move because it'll carve through the rock. And if you look around, when wind moves, it makes things happen. It makes waves happen. Waves come, and all this movement is happening. If you go to an intertidal zone, you'll see that it's rich and full of life precisely because there's ebb and there's flow. There's movement. It comes back and forth. It rises and it gets smaller. This is what God has designed us to be as people of movement, people of life, and we are called to, like the tide, gather together and then be scattered out. And it is in this movement that we find dynamism and life and renewal and you're sent back out with purpose. And so you come in and you scatter out again, back and forth, like the tide, ebb and flow. This is life. And when you make a habit of this worship service, you make a habit of life, it begins to shape you as all habits do. All habits shape us, and you know this. It's been years since I used this anecdote. I didn't even really study it again. But you know that they've cracked the code of how to make you addicted, and it's called a Doritos chip. <laughs> it's true. They know that if they can get your taste buds going just right with the right amount of fat and salt and all the tasty goodness, that you can't stop. It becomes a habit that you just eat it over and over again. And at some point, you can no longer taste a strawberry, something really natural and beautiful, right? Because you need that super jacked thing. Habits shape us. And what is happening in the service is the Lord is pleading with you as a lover to find your satisfaction, to have your taste renewed for his life and for his promises, for the peaceable kingdom he is bringing, indeed for him. And that if you make a habit of gathering together for worship, you will be shaped into a certain 
kind of person. If you worship here, you show him his worth, then you will go out into the world and you will shape it more and more in his image. You will find all of life worth it more and more if we allow this habit to shape us. This is how we find purpose and meaning. All of this is at stake in what you choose to do on any given Sunday morning. To emphasize gathered worship as a habit in your life. Not just because you're dutiful, not just because the preacher said so, or you read this verse, but because you're treasure hunting. And you only have one life. I mean, what are we doing from 10.30 to 11.45? I'm the pastor, one of the pastors here. I'm a preacher, and I sometimes don't want to come. If it weren't for my job, I wouldn't be here as often as I am. Facts. But you have to remember, oh, I'm just feeling the mosquitoes. I'm just seeing the mud. It's just such a long journey. Man, the New York Times and the coffee would be better. I get it. I get it. This week I heard some people, overheard people talking about their experience of Rosh Hashanah. And I was curious to hear what they did, but I had no interest in going to a synagogue on Wednesday. And most of our neighbors feel the same way about this very service. What will transform our hearts and the hearts of our neighbors? It's not just duty. It's not just, well, there used to be more Christians in this country and we used to go all the time. You should still do that. No. It's only if you believe that you will find your one and only purpose in experiencing the life and love of God over and over again, to gather and to be sent out, to gather and to scatter, to bring that blessing into the world by bringing it into your life, by giving him all honor, declaring him worth it, worth your very life, worth everything. My favorite treasure hunts with my dad were this particular game he liked to play when we weren't going far. We actually lived on the edge of a subdivision, so there was a huge forest behind us in North Carolina. And we would go sometimes. He would go out ahead. He said, come out in about 10 minutes, and he'd make her watch the clock. And he'd go out into this forest, and he, uh, he was a military guy, so he probably knew these little tricks. He would go and like, just leave little clues, maybe a broken branch. Sometimes it was elaborate. He'd make an arrow, you know, out of sticks on the ground or whatever. But he'd just leave little clues every 20, 30, 40, 50 yards, have to search for them. Like, I'm not sure what it would be. And you'd keep going. And always, you know, the gag was he was waiting at the end. We weren't just searching for some dubious treasure that may or may not be buried out there. It was, I would find him and he would laugh and we would run and we would embrace. And that was the treasure. That's what we were doing. That was my favorite game to play with my dad. And this is the good news, I close with this. This is the good news. To flip the whole script, that's what the gospel is, is flipping the script on what we think. You think you're searching for God and he's hiding out there somewhere and he's left a few clues for you to find him. But the gospel, the good news, is that God himself left his paradise to come and to seek and to save that which was lost, which is you and me. He's constantly searching for you. He's searching for you today. He loves you. And why? Because he finds you worth it. He finds you worth it. He finds you worthy. And if you can hear and believe that this morning, if you can know your worth all week, that you are the treasure in God's heart and eye and in all of his work, that what he desires is to embrace you and to be with you, 
then you will be free to say, man, I guess I'm worth it. And now I'm free to say he's worth it too. And you know, you're pretty worth it as well. And all this work in the world that we're gonna talk about next week, it's worth it too. This is what we do when we gather for worship. May you know your worth this morning and also the worth of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.